0: (laughs) Thank you.
1: Uh, Before we get started, I want to uh, let you know that you can support the show uh, when you make your travel plans by going to johnnydollarair.com. johnnydollarair.com is a Priceline affiliate, Uh, so when you go to the site, uh, you get all the advantages of going to Priceline in terms of being able to choose from great published rates or being able to name your own price on hotels, rental cars, airline tickets, and more. Uh, but, uh, if you do opt to go through johnnydollarair.com, part of your purchase price goes to support the great detectors of old-time radio. So remember, johnnydollarair.com. Now it's time for today's episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, The Calicles Manor, Part 5.
2: From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. David Parsons, did you read the morning paper? Yep. It's spread all over them. My son
3: missing. I've had calls from New York all morning long. The business mergers jeopardized, and it. It's your doing. Anything else to say? When I finish with you and your liability company, there won't be enough left to burn for junk. Mr. Parsons, before you shoot off any more steam, do you want me to give the papers the other half of the story? The one about you arranging for people to impersonate your son and his wife? Are you threatening me? I guess I am.
4: Why, you... Bye.
2: Bye. <laughs> Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Eastern Casualty and Trust Company, Boston, Massachusetts. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Calicles matter. Item 11, 10 cents, one newspaper. I lied to Parsons about seeing the paper. I hadn't seen it at all. But I could guess what had happened when they got hold of the story that a prominent broker had been missing some 14 days. It was all there, spread over the front page. I waited a couple of hours before I took old man Parsons on again.
2: You think you're pretty smart, don't you?
3: You should have given this matter to the police in the first place.
2: I gave it to a detective agency. And what do you mean by firing them?
3: Oh, they were just spending your money. And you're losing it for me with all this in the paper. I'm still trying to find your son, Mr. Parsons, remember? You aren't going to find him here. Something's come up. Maybe you can explain it. The DA's office impounded the books yesterday. $5,000 was withdrawn from your son's personal account. What do I have to explain about that? Wait. It was taken out the morning he disappeared you have any idea why he'd withdraw a sum of money that size? No. Do you? Sure. Somebody could have been standing at back of him with a gun, threatening to blow his head off. He might have had a date to go to a wedding and need us some tip money. What can you add? <laughs> You're getting mad, Dollar. Go find your answers someplace else. You don't care if he's ever located, do you? Dollar, let me tell you
2: something. My son means that to me. No more. He's never had brains enough or energy enough to do anything by himself. I do everything, always have. The
3: only reason I want him back is to affect the merger with Little and Tennyson. You knew that right away. I suppose so. I just wanted to hear it said to believe it. Well, now you've heard me say it. (laughs) You know, one reason why I always run the show, Dollar, my face never looks like yours over anything. I got out of there fast. I went downtown with a tall policeman named Jerry Engel to interview a bank teller. I'm Sergeant Engel. It's Mr. Dollar. Oh, yes, you phoned me. It's about Mr. Parsons. You took care of him when he came in here last Tuesday a week ago, is that right? I handled the withdrawal, yes. We'd like to see the slip on that. Place. Yes, I, I looked it up. I have it ready for you. Have you known Mr. Parsons very long? Well, I don't know him well, really. Look at this picture. This man is the same who signed the withdrawal slip last Tuesday morning? Yes, that's Mr. Parsons. Okay, tell us what happened. Well, he just came up to the cage and handed me the withdrawal slip, that's all. I see. Weren't you a little surprised when he made out a withdrawal slip for $5,000? That's a lot of money. Well, maybe I was a little surprised, but Mr. Parsons has withdrawn large sums from his personal account several times. I always assumed it was some sort of speculation where he needed cash on hand. When he came up to the cage to you, what exactly did he say? Oh, just good morning or, or something like that, and then will you please take care of this? Didn't he stipulate how he wanted the money? Oh, yes, yes, he did say that. I'm sorry. He took it mostly in hundreds and fifties. Any of these bills happen to be recorded? No, Sergeant. Uh-huh. Anything else you can remember about the transaction that might help? Mm, sorry, nothing. Well, well, maybe. Yeah? Well, you both know the kind of business Mr. Parsons is in. I mean, well, it seems like a hurried sort of business. Always phone calls, rushing, and so on. He was always always like that, it seemed to me. He'd come in here, do what he had to do, and rush out. Very brisk, you know. But that morning, he didn't seem in a hurry at all when he left. I mean, I had the distinct feeling that Mr. Parsons didn't particularly care in what direction he went. A recheck with Mrs. Parsons and the house servants established that Parsons had not left the house with the described money bag. The police went to work on that angle, trying to find out where he had purchased it. A supplementary bulletin went out with the news about the bag. The district attorney's men were trying to find out if he was involved with another woman, and if so, who. Parsons was reported to be in Toledo, Detroit, the Virgin Islands, and Boston. All the reports were untrue.
5: Yeah, officer, that's him. That's the guy who was in here that night. You sure? Well, I'm positive that's his picture.
3: Was he with anybody?
5: No, he was all alone. He sat over there on that stool.
3: How long was he here?
5: Oh, he's here when we closed the joint. Did you happen
3: to see where he went from here?
5: No. And what kind of shape was he in? Drunk? No, no, he was real sober and quiet. Drank all night, but he seemed to hold us up okay. Did you talk to him at all? No, just took his order for drinks. He didn't seem to want to talk to anybody. I see. Did
3: you happen to notice if anybody who was in here went over and talked to him?
5: I think a couple of people tried. You know, you get that sort of thing in a joint like this, but he didn't say much to any of them, so they just left him alone. He just
3: sat alone and drank?
5: No, he was making a phone call all the time. He was here, a long-distance call from the booth over there. He sat at the end of the bar so he could hear the phone ring.
3: How do you know he was making a long-distance call?
5: Well, he handed me a 20 once and asked me to change it to
3: quarters for him. All the quarters I had. About what time was this?
5: Oh, uh, I don't know exactly, but it, it took him two or three hours anyway.
3: Do you know if he ever completed his call?
5: He poured a lot of dough into the phone. I guess he did, finally.
3: Did he have anything with him while he was here? What do you mean? Was he carrying a little black bag, maybe?
5: Yeah, nothing but his overcoat. I... Yeah. What? He did say something to me at that. Uh, He asked me if I knew Calicles. Calicles? Yes, Sergeant. Uh, He was about three bourbons along by then. Mean anything? I've
3: heard about that before, Jerry. Calicles was a Greek. Parsons quoted him to his doctor once. Something about a man breaking through and shaking off his chains. A pretty piece of poetry.
5: Poet? I thought he was a bookie. Oh, excuse
3: me. Well, Jerry, one thing for sure. Yeah, what? We know he was alive that night. Jerry Engel started a check with the telephone company. Their records disclosed that David Parsons had placed a call from the pay booth in the bar on the night in question. It had been a person-to-person call to a Kenneth Temple in San Francisco. We tried to place a call to the same number, but there was no answer. We waited another two hours trying to complete the call, and the operators were still trying when we drove out to the Parsons residence once more. Mrs. Parsons gave us a cool greeting.
6: I certainly don't appreciate any of this. You're responsible, Mr. Dollar, for all this publicity.
3: We don't have to go into that, Mrs. Parsons. We need your help now. We found out that your husband called a man named Kenneth Temple in San Francisco the night he disappeared. Oh? That name, Kenneth Temple, does it mean anything to you?
6: No, I've never heard it before.
3: Mr. Parsons never mentioned it to you?
6: Well, I can't say for certain, but it's not familiar to me at the moment.
3: Have you ever been to San Francisco? Yes. When?
6: Twice. Going to and coming back from Hawaii two years ago.
3: Has Mr. Parsons ever been in San Francisco?
6: He was on the same trip.
3: This name, Temple, maybe it was someone you met while you were there.
6: No, I don't recall meeting anyone there at all. Sergeant. Yes? All this has been quite upsetting, quite nerve-wracking, really. I don't know what progress you people are making, but I do wish it would all be handled soon.
4: Excuse me, please. Sure.
3: This isn't getting us very far. I don't get it.
6: Oh, oh, oh! yes, operator. Just a moment. It's for you, Sergeant.
3: Oh, thanks. Probably San Francisco operator. Thank you. This is Sergeant Engel. Yes? Yeah? Oh, hello, Mr. Temple.
5: This is Sergeant Engel, Missing Persons Division, Los Angeles Police. Now, we're trying to locate a man named David Parsons. Huh? All right. He's there now. You uh-huh. going to put him
3: on. David? Well, let me talk to him. Uh, just a minute. Is that an extension? Oh, yes. Please. I'll uh, get him. Let me talk. Hold it a minute. Miss Parsons, we have been pretty worried about you. Yes? Yes, she's all right. She's right here. Okay, Mrs. Parsons, here, take it.
6: David? How are you? Oh, it's so good to hear your voice, David. When you're coming home, your father and I have been... I
4: read about it in the papers. Now, I want you to listen to me, Dorothy. Dad's going to ask you, so listen. But... Listen to me.
6: I'm listening, David?
4: Do you remember all the times that I've asked you to talk to me? The times during these years when I've wanted companionship, warmth, a a home that was lived in? Each time I asked for these things, you were always too busy, too taken up with things outside my life. Do you remember
6: all that? Uh, Yes, yes, David, I remember all that.
4: Well, this is the end of you and me.
6: But your father... It's the end
4: of father and me, too, Dorothy. You tell him that probably won't believe it, but you tell him the merger is all his. He'll have to get another figurehead. Why, you'd be so angry. Dorothy, what I'm trying to say is his anger doesn't worry me anymore.
5: Well, what about me?
4: <laughs> I never worried you.
5: But David... I'm
4: going away. A long sea voyage with Temple. You don't remember him, but he was a sailor. I used to talk to aboard ship when we went to Hawaii. He has a boat now. I'm shipping on it. Well, when will you be back? I won't be back. David! Now, will you put that police officer on? Hello,
3: Mr. Parsons. Uh, who is that? My name is Johnny Dollar. I've been trying to find you for two weeks. I'm an insurance investigator. Oh. I have found out quite a lot about you. I want to make sure I'm talking to the right man.
4: I won't answer a lot of questions.
3: Just one. It's not even a question. Calicles. Oh. Mean anything?
4: I don't know. Who you are. I didn't even get your name, but you did find out. (laughs) If there were a man who had sufficient force, he would shake off and break through and escape from all this. He would trample underfoot all our formulas and spells and charms and all our laws which are against nature. The slave would rise in rebellion. And be Lord
3: always. So far as the police were concerned, there was nothing more to do. So far as the insurance company is concerned, we'll have to sit on a $100,000 bond and hope that David Parsons will return to his life in Los Angeles when he gets whatever it is out of his system. Expense account total, $1,100.59. Remarks? Just Mrs. Parsons, to me. She asked why he never talked about this to her. I told her he did. No one ever listened. She didn't understand that either. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
2: Now, here's our star to tell you about next week's intriguing story. Next
3: week, one of the most heartless, most vicious rackets an insurance investigator ever had to face... Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny
2: Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood, written by John Dawson... It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in this week's cast were Virginia Gregg, Harry Bartell, Lillian Bayef, Will Wright, Gene Bates, Carlton Young, Lawrence Dobkin, Burt Holland, Marvin Miller, and Herb Vigran. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking.
1: Well, you really feel for the guy uh, in uh, in many ways, uh, just because he, you know, really this is this is kind of a midlife crisis uh, brought about by just the lack of respect received from his wife. Uh, as well as from his uh, father. I think we also um, have the sense, uh, at least I do, that this is not uh, in any way a permanent final solution to uh, his problem. It's a way that he can, first of all, acknowledge what's going on and what he's feeling. But the story leaves his future very uh, uncertain. John C. Abbott, in his book, The Uh who is uh, Johnny Dollar Matter. He notes on this episode first that the episode was based on the Brisbane fraud matter. And uh he notes the quote is uh from Plato's uh Gorgias, the speech of Callicles is from the con- from Convention and Nature. Technically the references in the program should have been to Plato, not to Callicles. And uh so uh some interesting uh, insight there, because I wondered about exact sourcing of the speech. Um, but with that, we do turn now to look some listener comments and feedback before we get into uh, Doctor Tim. Uh, Kimo said, so I'm not a fan of Dragnet, as many of these reviewers seem to be, but I love Johnny Dollar and have been digging the serials Adam's been playing. I'd love to see Rocky Jordan make his way into the lineup sooner rather than later, but always enjoy Adam's choices and his commentary before and after. Uh, this is a great show. Thanks so much, uh, Kimo. And now, uh, we turn to Dr. Tim Detective. In today's program, Poisoner at Large.
6: This is Dr. Tim, detective, to bring you by transcription, The Mystery of the Poisoner at Large. It isn't very often these days that you run across a case of wholesale poisoning. But when you do, well, there's never a dull moment until you've tracked the whole thing down. There's nothing worse than to be poisoned whether you take the wrong medicine out of your medicine cabinet by mistake, or whether it's fed to you by somebody else, as it was in this particular case which came to my attention not so long ago. But I'd better start right at the beginning. Sandy and Jill, they're a couple of my very best friends and helpers, were watching me at work in my laboratory this particular evening, and as usual, the questions flew thick and fast. Sure, I get the general idea, but what's that machine for? It sure makes
0: enough racket.
6: Well, as I was saying, it's called a centrifuge.
0: Uh Uh-huh. That explains everything, I guess.
6: Yeah. I can see it just about as easy as a black sheep in a coal mine. (laughs) At night. (laughs) Okay, kids. I'll back up a little. You see, when you have several kinds of bacteria, or bugs, I guess you'd call them, or when you want to separate one part of a substance from another, you put them in a centrifuge, turn on the switch... And the machine whirls them around at a few thousand revolutions per minute. Then what happens? Then? Presto, like this. The centrifuge separates the lighter from the heavier parts. In this case, the bacteria I'm hoping to find from the solution they grew in. And, well, here you are. Look for yourselves. Hey, yeah, it works. I'll be done. Well, I'll transfer these bacteria to a culture.
0: Here we go again.
6: Well, a culture is merely something for the bacteria to grow in and feed from. Oh. In this case, I'm going to use the fertilized egg of a chicken. And if the experiment works, I'll soon know if these bacteria can live and grow in living tissue. At other times, the culture might be uh, milk or a sugar solution. Or even a bit of custard pie. It's a way we scientific detectives have of finding out a lot of things. Hmm. I don't see much detective work there. Yeah, you'd be surprised, Sandy. You'd be surprised. Hello? Oh, hello, Jarvis. How are things down at the health department?
0: Well, we could sure
6: use you right now if you've got the time. Uh, we're pretty short-handed, and something's come up I don't like at all. Right in your neighborhood. Well, anything serious? Fourteen calls during the last hour. and All from your part of town. Food poisoning, I think. Hmm, any clues? Not yet. Haven't had time to check thoroughly. I thought you might help there. I'd get out your set of pulse vespashes and do a little the de- Why, Dr. Jarvis, you know us junior G-men have given up disguises? The latest thing is to graft noses on us like a (laughs) bloodhound. All right. A few minutes later, Sandy, Jill, and I were mapping out our campaign. Now, some people think it's kind of funny for a combination doctor and detective to count on a couple of kids for help on a case. But let me tell you that those two are just about the most valuable assistance I have. In between phone calls reporting new cases of food poisoning, we outlined the problem and our work.
0: So you mean you'd like us to get a complete list of everything the sick people ate today?
6: Exactly. And then by putting those lists together we ought to find that all of them had one kind of food somewhere along the line. Or ate at the same restaurant, perhaps. In other words, you see, we need a common factor to start with. I get it. You're trying to track down where the food poisoning came from. Exactly. And that way, we can stop anyone else from eating the contaminated food.
0: But, gee, what is it? Arsenic or, or rat poison or something?
6: Well, that's what I'm going to find out by a careful laboratory analysis after I visit a couple of those sick people. However, I'm willing to bet that we'll find our old friends the bacteria at the bottom of it. Germs, huh? Yes. Well, let's get going, kids. Okay, my list
0: is milk and canned soup and cream pie. Oh, yes. Dr. Kim would like to know where you bought the pie, or if you... So let's see if I have it right,
6: Mr. Adams. You and your wife ate hamburgers, canned pork and beans, and drank coffee. Dr. Kim told me to ask you where you bought the hamburgers. The rest of the things don't
0: no matter. You didn't eat anything at home, is that right? Now I'm supposed to find out a quick restaurant. Thanks. Now let's
6: be sure I have it right. Steak, potatoes, fresh carrots, and chocolate clairs. Be sure that's everything. Dr. Kim wants to be sure By the time I arrived home after looking in on some of the patients, I had enough laboratory material to keep me busy for quite a spell. Samples of food from several homes, minute bits of waste from the patients, and lists similar to those Sandy and Jill were compiling. I went into my laboratory and sat down for a few moments to think. So far, nothing about the case made sense. Except that all those people did have food poisoning... Not about that. And some of them were mighty sick indeed. There'd be a lot more if we didn't track down the source of the trouble in a hurry. Stop anyone else from eating the germ-laden food. Silently, I went to work. A few minutes later... Sandy and Jill were going over their lists of the food eaten by the poisoned patients with Doctor Jarvis, and as I adjusted my microscope for the umpteenth time, I found what I was looking for. I motioned the others over. Well, here's the criminal.
0: See? Let me see. Yeah, me too.
6: They all peered into the microscope. Doctor Jarvis was the first to speak. Ooh, nasty little germs, Salmonella.
0: What Salmonella?
6: I suppose it accounts for more food poisoning than all the other bacteria put together doesn't kill very many people. It sure makes a lot of them plenty sick. Did you find out where it came from? Unfortunately, no. There aren't any samples of the food I've tested so far that show its presence. The bacteria you see under the microscope are from the stomach contents of one of the patients. Well, we're not having too much luck ourselves. Like to hear the reports of the investigation? I think that's the next step. Okay, Jill, you've been keeping score. suppose you start.
0: Well, there isn't any one food that everybody ate. Well...
6: Wouldn't you know it?
0: Oh, it's worse than that. There aren't even two kinds of food on everybody's list. I mean, you know, half of them one thing and half another.
6: Mm-hmm. Just plain doesn't make sense. Well, it looks like a dead end from here. Well, let's do the best we can. Let's find the, say, the three items that appear oftenest in the list you've made. It just might be a connection. First, though, I think we can rule out canned food, because there hasn't been any real trouble with commercially canned food for years. It's impossible that all those people ate the same home canned stuff that might have gone bad. This is going to be tougher than I thought. The results of our detective work were peculiar, to say the least. But we did prove one thing there were three food items to be suspected. Because one of those three appeared in all the diets of the ones who ate at home. With a flourish of his pencil, Dr. Jarvis summed it up. Well, here we are. Those poisoned people had either hamburger in some form, cream pie, or chocolate eclairs. Doesn't make sense.
0: Wait a minute. I've got an idea. I've been working in the ones who ate out, and all of them had one of those
6: two. Hold on a minute. When' till you hear this one. I've been doing the stores and the restaurants. Everybody that ate out went to the drugstore down on the corner. This is beginning to add up to something. Let me see your list, Joe. No, no, no. The other one. Uh-huh. All the pastry, the cream pies, and the chocolate eclairs came from one bakery. Oh,
0: sure. And we had meatloaf, hamburgers, meatballs, and tamale pie, all made with ground meats in the same butcher shop.
6: You're sure of that? Uh-huh. Uh, now all we have to do is to chase all over town to those various stores, trying to find out what and why. Gosh, right. and... no you don't. Don't what? Don't have to chase all over town, or even this end of it. That bakery and the meat market and the drugstore where the people ate are all right together. Just four blocks down the street. Say, wait a minute. If, if that's true, Jarvis, I think we might have the answer. Let's get going. Fast. Come on, let's go. Come on. As we drove the short distance to the shopping center, I got to thinking. You know, it's a funny thing about mysteries, especially complicated ones like this one, where people scattered over a wide area all come down with the same illness at once. At first, things don't even make sense. Look impossible, you might say. And then, with a bit of information added here and there, a dim pattern begins to take shape. Well, that's exactly what happened in the poison mystery this time. Here's what we knew. Three food items caused those people to become deathly ill. Well, two, really. Because it occurred to me that the filling of cream pie and the filling of chocolate eclairs is the same. And the other was hamburger. Both items came from the same two stores. Those who had eaten at the drugstore had eaten either hamburger or the cream filling. What would be more logical than for the drugstore food to be purchased at the butcher shop next door and the bakery two doors down? So the pattern was now clear. Only one part of the mystery remained. How could both the pastry and the hamburger become poisoned with the germs of salmonella? And as we drove up in front of the stores and parked, an almost forgotten item of my medical training popped into my mind. I was sure I had the answer. Well, as we gathered in my laboratory a little later, Sandy, Jill, Dr. Jarvis, and myself, we were a happy gang. There wouldn't be any more cases of food poisoning from that source, at least. Lost in thought, I heard Sandy ask... But gee, Dr. Tim, how come you went right into those stores and started looking for rats? He sure fooled me. Well, as Dr. Jarvis could tell you as well as I, one of the commonest carriers of salmonella, the food poisoning bug, is rats and mice. A few of their droppings around a food store and... Well, you've seen what happens. Oh, well, that's why we have inspections by the city and campaigns against rats and mice. Even if you can't get results 100% of the time.
0: Well, why would just, will the cream filling in the hamburger be full again?
6: Well, you remember what I told you about cultures? The perfect material for bacteria to grow on?
0: Yeah.
6: Well, two of the best cultures in the world for salmonella are cream fillings and ground meat. Especially in a warm place like the bakery. Or when left outside the refrigerator in a butcher shop. It's the perfect setup for an epidemic like ours. But why did those stores being right together give you the idea? Elementary, my dear Sandy, elementary. It would be rather strange that two or three different sets of food poisoning would break out on the same day at widely separated spots. So figuring that adjoining buildings would offer plenty of opportunity for the same carriers to go back and forth freely, I apprehended the poisoners at large. It's a matter of get rid of the rats, get rid of the poisoners. And believe me... That's going to be done. This is Dr. Tim Detective, saying so long until next week at this same time, when Sandy, Jill, and I will bring you the exciting transcribed story I call The Mystery of the House that jack built
1: Welcome back. Well, the other thing that makes Sandy and Jill such great assistants is their free labor. Uh, seriously, uh, a good episode, and I love the series for what it is in terms of being a uh, show that uses uh, mystery uh, and uh, det- and the popularity of detective stories to educate kids about science. And, uh, medicine. And I thought they did just a great job here, kind of making everything plausible and giving, uh, the kids a reason to care about what Dr. Tim was talking about. So another good episode of Dr. Tim. Unfortunately, the next two episodes are missing, but we have one last program of Dr. Tim to bring you next Friday. So be sure to be listening then. And uh, on Monday, we'll start another Johnny Dollar serial. Um, so, uh, get ready for that. Uh, coming up tomorrow, it's the lineup. Uh, and, uh, we'll be looking forward to that. Uh, in the meantime, send your comments to box 13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.